When you think of jihadist ideology, Africa probably isn't the first place that springs to mind. But ties do exist between some of today's African Islamist groups and the jihadist world Americans are more familiar with. This, Justin, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers. Clearly, something relatively devastating happening this morning there on the south end of the island of Manhattan. September 11th was a signal to most Americans of the dawning of a frightening new era, where jihadist groups like al-Qaeda represented a threat to American security, not just abroad, but here at home. The rough mountains of Pakistan and Afghanistan are well known as home to the violent ideology of al-Qaeda, but now that home extends to the deserts of Mali. In the late 80s, the future leaders of al-Qaeda fought to liberate Afghanistan from the Soviet Union. David Ottaway is a senior scholar at the Woodrow Wilson Center for International Scholars. Particularly towards the end of those years, a lot of Arabs came to fight alongside the Afghani Mujahideen, holy warriors, and got indoctrinated there in notions of jihad and armed struggle. And in the case of Algeria, there were hundreds that went to Afghanistan. After the, the Soviets left in um, 89, they all came back home. The Algerian Mujahideen returned to a revolutionary environment, their fight to overthrow the ruling party ultimately led to civil war in that country. And it led to the Islamists winning local elections and then poised to win parliamentary elections when the army stepped in in um, late 91, early 92 and put an end to the whole process. And this led to an explosion of jihadi groups that went into the mountains determined to fight the military in Algeria. While all this was happening, Osama bin Laden and his second-in-command, Ayman Zawahiri, had been gathering funds and planning attacks, including those on U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in the late 90s and the bombing of the USS Cole in October of 2000. President Bill Clinton, the morning of that attack. First, as you know, an explosion claimed the lives of at least four sailors on one of our naval vessels, the USS Cole, this morning. Many were injured. A number are still missing. They were simply doing their duty. The ship was refueling in a port in Yemen while en route to the Persian Gulf. These, of course, were precursors to the tragedy of 9-11. Later, American retaliation for September 11th turned al-Qaeda leaders into fugitives. The leadership seemed to realize that to survive, the organization would need to adapt. Bruce Rydell is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution's Saban Center for Middle East Policy. After 9-11, what I would call the second generation of al-Qaeda, they began to institutionalize these links and actually create franchises of al-Qaeda. For example, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, which has gone through a metamorphosis over the years, but has always called itself AQAP. Al-Qaeda in Iraq, which developed during the course of the American invasion and occupation, ultimately now calling itself the Islamic State of Iraq, but it's really al-Qaeda in Iraq. And then franchises that developed further and further afield. So that today, you have a constellation 
In the case of all these franchises, Al-Qaeda Central required certain conditions to be met. That included a commitment to a global movement of jihadism. And not just any armed group can affiliate itself with Al-Qaeda. Again, Bruce Rydell. You have to be at war with the enemies of the global jihad, meaning the United States and its allies, and in fact the international system itself. And the second requirement is you have to prove that you can really do it. You can't just be a talking shop, you've got to be a bombing shop. You've actually got to prove that you can kill people. For al-Qaeda, conflict can be seen almost as an opportunity to network. In the case of the Iraq War, in the heart of the Middle East, there was a unique chance for Islamists from Algeria to familiarize themselves with al-Qaeda fighters and their way of thinking. Bruce Rydell from Brookings. The war in Iraq was particularly crucial. In the case of Iraq, Osama bin Laden publicly said months before the American invasion, the Americans are going to attack Iraq. They're going to attack Iraq. They are going to attack Iraq. When we did, he had successfully predicted what was going on. That was important to him in one respect. The United States had actually occupied one of the oldest Islamic countries in the world. And Iraq became, for a period of about five years, the centerpiece of the al-Qaeda struggle. And foreign fighters, literally from Morocco all the way to Malaysia and Indonesia, flocked to Iraq to join the battle. But it wasn't until 2006 that Ayman Zawahiri announced the Algerian Mujahideen would now be al-Qaeda affiliates. A year later, in 2007, al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, or AQIM, showed the world in earnest that it was part of the international jihadist movement, stretching all the way into Africa. Its goal had been the overthrow of the Algerian government. The two car bombs were the work of a group calling itself al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. One bomb destroyed the offices of the United Nations Development Program and killed at least 10 of its staff. They attacked UN headquarters in Algiers, which showed that they'd bought into the notion that the enemy was not just the government of Algeria, but international uh, system as a whole, which al-Qaeda believes is dominated by America, and they'd showed they could do it. They could actually blow something up. This attack meant al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, or AQIM, was now a force to be taken seriously. But before the recent revolutions in the Arab world, it was declining in power. It's a bit of a surprise. Two, three, four years ago, al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb had basically been reduced uh, to a criminal gang uh, that specialized in kidnapping. In the last year, year and a half, with the fall of Gaddafi, with access to the enormous arsenal of weapons in Libya, with the fall of the central Mali government, uh, it has grown spectacularly. What's clear is that Osama bin Laden's death did not blunt his message and methods. These groups still pose a threat as a global jihadist movement. And the United States and its allies are still at risk of attack. This is true not just of AQIM, but also of groups that operate elsewhere in Africa. That includes Ansar al-Sharia in Libya, Ansar Dean in Mali, and al-Shabaab in Somalia and Kenya. You now have in Mali and to a certain degree in large parts of Libya, broad areas with no law and order, bordering on chaos in which al-Qaeda's franchise and its associated movements uh, have the capacity to grow, get bigger, and become more and more dangerous. And what we saw dramatically last September 11th in Benghazi 
is the target set hasn't changed. The United States remains at the top of their list of targets to go after. And in Benghazi, they were successful in killing four Americans, including our ambassador. Bruce Rydell is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution's Saban Center for Middle East Policy.